0: That's noom.com to sign up today.
1: You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. I've officially got the clear from my manager that I'm no longer day-to-day, and I can go back to podcasting, and just in time, because it's episode 50 of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. It's not really episode 50. John was nice and labeled last week as 49 and a half, although it was a full podcast, so we're just going to technically call this one episode 50 which is extremely awesome but on today's show we will cover the latest news around baseball discuss player performances from the past week and recommend some hitter and pitcher streamers for the week ahead but before we do that john 50 episodes of this podcast do you have any fond memories of it
1: honestly it's kind of been a blur if i'm being honest when you talk about (laughs) fantasy baseball for like an hour and a half every single week i think they all kind of blend together um like, I, I don't remember any of my, uh, victory laps, unfortunately, but, um, I mean, there's been some good times, obviously a lot of good interviews that we've had on this podcast, uh, a lot of fun kind of talking through MVP candidates every single episode, it feels like, cause it's like, we don't want to talk about the same players every single time cause they're so awesome. But also like, how can you ignore like, you know, that Matt Olson is just, you know, hitting the crap out of the ball, uh, just things like that is it's always good uh good banter. Um obviously one of the bigger things is probably the Martin Perez Yeah that, that we had going that I won by a hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, no, it's been it's been a really fun fifty episodes so far and obviously looking forward to fifty more.
2: Yeah, I think the Martin Perez thing was one of the biggest takeaways because that was the first time we really came up with something as us two where we were like, Hey, you know what, let's just do this side bet and we kind of ran with it and it was kind of exciting every week to check in where he was at he's like oh he's pitcher 31 oh he's 28 always 42 like it was cool to keep up with that i really enjoyed doing the off-season part of the podcast kind of building up to this season because normally when i do my off-season research and planning and rankings i kind of just keep that to myself i don't post it anywhere i don't do anything with it it's all just for my own personal use so Mm -hmm. it was really cool doing what we did where we went around to each team and we talked about who we were excited about and who we were watching and who was performing well and that really added another element to my research and I think it made me a better fantasy player and analyst just by going through all of that so that was a really cool moment for me and yet you're kind of right that pretty much everything doing a weekly podcast about everything in fantasy baseball for that week it's all just a blur. It kind of just goes in and out. You kind of have to reset every week. I remember talking about Chris Bryant every single week for being oh hurt. Oh,
1: my goodness. Yeah.
2: There's some good memories How that could we have. How you forget that? that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something you really can't forget just every week talking about Chris Bryant for not playing on the field. Like, he played seven games for the Rockies <laughs> and yeah, everything else was, was him on the news section. So,
1: yeah. I mean, I still remember the, yeah, when we were doing those, those, um, three season episodes, I was like, oh, man, I really hope, Lance McCullers looks healthy this spring training. Yeah. And the, you know, lo and behold, he, you know, he hasn't pitched a single game this year. And uh, yeah, it's been, you know, you, you kind of find these like small sort of like, you know, victory laps or, or just bad beats um, that you have throughout the year. When you, when you have a podcast that runs throughout the year, right? Like you, you pick up on stuff. where like, Oh, I remember calling this back in like April or like, Oh, I remember I was really hyping up this guy. And now he's just like an absolute nothing.
2: Yeah, it really kind of filters in and out where you're really hyped about something and you might get a short victory lap, but then they're just absolute poo afterwards or you get a really bad start and you're like, man, I take the L, but then they turn it around. You're like, "Ah, I knew it. I was right. (laughs) So there's a lot of things to reflect with doing a podcast like this, but. If there's two things for certain, one, Lance McCullers will rarely pitch in the MLB, and two, we have a podcast every single week. So it's great to have done 50 episodes with you. Obviously, we've done some solo podcasts here and there, but... 50 episodes of the show. It's really cool because I don't think either of us thought we would get to this point after just starting the podcast, getting a gift of being able to start a podcast on the Pitcher List Network and then just running with it and making a show that hopefully people enjoy listening to and it actually helps their fantasy season. So that's all I could ask for as someone who loves fantasy baseball and wants to be an analyst and thinks they know a lot about it and can help other people, if anybody, even just one person, listened to this show at any point and got a helpful piece of information, I think that's all we could really ask for.
1: Yeah, that or, you know, enjoyed our our weekly kind of bipolar ranting on uh, Lance Lynn. That too was pretty fun.
2: Yeah, that was definitely a good time. I was more of a nutcase in that because I had a lot of shares of him. So my season (laughs) was a nightmare with that up and down. But speaking of Lance Lynn... Not having a great season, we have. And before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisweekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on: Apple Podcasts, Spotify Stitcher. We're on all of them. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. And please, 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 please leave us a five-star review. If you enjoy listening to us and for the 50th episode, give us that five-star review. Five fifty, it all lines up. So please leave a five-star review and thank you for listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Moving on to the MLB news since our last podcast, we start with Shane McClanahan of the Rays. He will officially undergo Tommy John surgery. That will end his 2023 season and most likely keep him out for all of the 2024 season as well. The Rays have now lost Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen, and Shane McClanahan for the entire season. Just brutal. And speaking of brutal, Wander Franco of the Rays was placed on the restricted list on Monday, August 14th, as he is being investigated by Dominican authorities and a division that focuses on minors' gender violence and a judge who's a child abuse specialist are handling the case, which is in its early stages. According to Hector Gomez on Twitter, a person very close to the investigation of the case said that it will be very unlikely that Wander Franco will play in MLB again. Pretty crazy news. The Rays are kind of just spiraling at this point, John, where they lost pretty much their entire rotation. They had to trade Kyle Manzardo to the Guardians for Aaron Savale just to save face in that rotation. And they just keep hitting into potholes across this whole season, but they're staying afloat. It's kind of amazing, but are you worried at
1: all about the Rays? It's a good question because, like, that team at the beginning of the season, right? Like, you would have said, well, pitching was their uh, strong suit and batting was where it needed to kind of, uh, you know, figure itself out, right? And now that we're, you know, well into the season, it feels like the batting is the, you know, the thing that's holding this team up because, yeah, that pitching staff is uh, it's a little rough. Um, you know, thank goodness they signed Zach Eflin, right? Because uh, yeah. he's, he's, I mean, at this point, assuming, you know, Glass now is... Isn't as consistent as you know. He just isn't really consistent all the time. So, I mean, that being said, he's had some pretty sick starts recently. But him and Eflin are basically yeah holding this team together. And uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy that this is how their season has turned around. That being said, though, I mean they're still keeping pace with the Orioles in the division. And um, even though it you know it sucks for fantasy teams that you know guys like Shane aren't aren't pitching for the rest of the season. The offense is still chucking long, and um, yeah, they're still doing they're still doing pretty well.
2: It's actually insane because when you think about the rotation going into the season of Tyler Glasnow, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, and Zach Eflin, that's like a dream rotation. That is such a good rotation, and now they have a half of Glasnow, I guess. He came Mm -hmm. back from injury and he kind of got hurt again, but he's back now. So you never know with Glasnow. You got Eflin, you got Savale. Like I said, Zach Littell was a reliever and now he's just a (sighs) decent starter, which makes zero sense. They just keep plugging in guys and it really makes no sense how they have just a plethora of guys to pull from that will be good starters. But yeah, the offense has really kept them afloat, which is crazy because that was the one concern going in. Did they have enough? They had Wander Franco, which obviously we won't speak about, but we had Randy Rosarena, who's been amazing this season. Isaac Mm -hmm. Paredes, who has had a phenomenal season. We've had a lot of other people like Yandy Diaz, Taylor Walls shine for a little bit. So the Rays are really putting it together and hanging in the fight because the Orioles are right there. They're ahead of them, but it's pretty crazy watching the Rays entire season and then just seeing what they've had to go through. I don't think a team has really suffered as much as they have this season with injuries like this. I haven't seen a team lose pretty much their entire rotation in Mm -hmm. an entire year. I mean, I take that back. The Mets have done that several times. But yeah, the Rays have gone through some turmoil here. Moving on, we've got Hunter Green of the Reds. He will be activated from the 60-day IL and start Sunday's game against the Blue Jays. Green completed a successful four-star rehab assignment in the minors and is finally returning to the Reds rotation. Pretty good timing, too, for fantasy managers and the Reds alike. He is definitely a nice sight to see. Ozzy Albies of the Braves was placed on the 10-day IL on Tuesday, August 15th, with a strained left hamstring. It's currently unclear how much time that Albies might miss, but in a corresponding move, Vaughn Grissom was called up from Triple-A Gwinnett. I believe him and Nikki Lopez will split time at second base, so we'll see how that plays out, but hey, more names to add to your lineup because any exposure to the Braves lineup is good because they are unbelievable. Did you know that in multiple months, John, this season, the Braves have had an over 900 OPS as a team?
1: That seems ridiculous, but when you have two MVP candidates on your team, I guess it kind of makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's absurd. They were comparing the Braves team this season Mm -hmm. on MLB Network to the Big Red Machine to the Yankees murderers row and yeah. it
1: lines up like <laughs> the Braves are scary yeah that I mean that team is insane like I, I know they were like kind of slow right starting out of the gate this season just like a, just like I think that the first month wasn't exactly like the most yep. beautiful thing but since then yeah they've been just taking the uh the world by storm and um uh, that's kind of crazy that their team OPS is that high Yeah, I believe in two separate months, they finished with a team OPS with
2: above 900. Like, right now, I believe their team OPS is like 902. It's just ridiculous. And in the first inning, I think they have like a 1100 OPS or something. Like, they score so many runs in the first inning. So, for anybody who does bets, bet on the Braves to score in the first inning like every time. Because they are monsters in the first inning. But, yeah, the Braves are a scary team. And the fact that they have all these guys locked up long-term, their core... For so long on such team friendly contracts, they just did it right, man. The Braves killed it as an organization.
1: Yeah, and then it's also a team that like still doesn't always play their best guys every single day. Like Sean Murphy's like what playing every other day or yeah. something stupid like that. Um yeah, I mean I just know firsthand because uh when Joe Ryan pitched against them back in I think it was July, I think they hit like five solo homers off him or something in like the first two innings. And I was just like, okay, it's going to be one of those days, huh?
2: Yeah, the Braves are actually nuts. And the one thing I can say is that the Braves do play the same guys like every single day, but they are rotating out the catcher with Murphy. They play some different guys in the outfield sometimes with Rosario Mm -hmm. and platooning him. But the mainstays in that lineup have really stayed there every single day. Like I think three or four of the guys on that team are – on pace to finish with 162 games. So oh, okay, pretty crazy to think that they just have such an elite team because they have been mm-hmm. dominant this whole season, and I think they're going to win the World Series. That's just my
1: bet there because it, they just look good. Yeah, they have, what, probably the best pitcher in the game right now in Spencer Strider? Yep. And Max Freed. Max Freed. Charlie Morton shows signs of life sometimes. Yeah, they arguably have one of the best batters in the game right now. And then the second best batter in the game in Matt Olson. Yep. And then Austin Riley's still there. And yeah, man. That team is that team is so scary. And it's incredible to think about just two years ago when they did win the World Series. Yep. That like they were below five hundred at the trade deadline. Yeah, that's what
2: people don't remember, is that their team wasn't too great, and they went out and acquired four different outfielders Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, who ended up being the World Series MVP. They just made some little moves, and then they just turned everything around and became dominant, so the Braves are quite the organization. It's very, very impressive, but without Ozzy Albies, their team might be a little bit worse, so hopefully he can come back soon for those Braves. Carlos Rodon of the Yankees threw a five-inning simulated game on Wednesday in Tampa. As long as he responds well to the workout with no renewed discomfort, Rodon should be able to slot back into the Yankees' starting rotation next Tuesday against the Nationals. Starling Marte of the Mets may not be pushed for a return in the 2023 season. Marte has been out with a groin injury, and the Mets believe that it could be related to his off-season core muscle surgery. With the Mets being out of contention, they're not in any rush to activate him, so if you do have any shares of Marte, just put him on your IL and probably don't expect him to come back this season. Mark Vientos of the Mets was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, retroactive to August 16th with left wrist tendonitis. Nathan Ivaldi of the Rangers is scheduled to throw another bullpen session this weekend he's thrown two encouraging bullpens already this week and the Rangers will presumably check to see how Ivaldi is feeling before deciding on the next steps he's working his way back from a right forearm strain Royce Lewis of the Twins was activated from the 10-day IL on Tuesday he missed more than six weeks of action with a grade two left oblique strain Byron Buxton of the Twins is getting better but will need to go on a rehab assignment before returning according to manager Rocco Baldelli on Tuesday. He's been on the injured list since August 4th with right hamstring tightness. John with the Twins are you feeling good about Royce Lewis being back? Are you feeling any sort of way with Buxton returning? Is there any good news there anywhere?
1: Uh, I mean with Royce, Royce looks real good at the gate. Yep. I think in his first two games back, get an RBI in both. He's just kind of been back to where he, he picked up where he left off, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then as for Buxton, it's kind of tough because he was in a pretty major slump before he went on IL. Um, I'm sure anyone who had Buxton on your fantasy team was probably just a little frustrated with the lack of production, really, from him. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what he looks like uh, coming back uh, from this rehab assignment i mean he's been essentially out for what two weeks and you know if you count this rehab assignment he'll be out for probably three to four weeks or something like that so when he comes back you know later this month or maybe in september i'm curious what he's going to look like if he if he's going to look comfortable um if he's i mean he's definitely not going to be 100 that's for sure um and i I would not be surprised to see the twins kind of platoon him at dh for a little bit. If they don't feel like he should be getting everyday at bats, um, and that might be something for for you know fantasy managers to watch out for to see if 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 he's back to an everyday wall or because of kind of the log jam or really the the uh, the wealth of hitters that the Twins have, which is kind of a weird thing to say, um, they they might cycle him in and out of that DH spot um, for for the remainder of the season, and that might be tough for for managers to figure out.
2: Yeah, that's definitely something to monitor if you have Byron Buxton on your team. If he comes back, when he comes back, make sure that he's getting full-time playing time. Make sure if you're in a daily league that you monitor him because he might get some days off and kind of platoon at DH. So something to monitor, but it will be good when he comes back because he's capable of going on a huge run. Mm Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Diamondbacks was removed from Wednesday's game against the Rockies due to a left hip contusion. He is currently day-to-day. Lars Nupar of the Cardinals was removed from Wednesday's game against Oakland with a lower abdomen contusion. Like Guriel, Nupar is also day-to-day for the time being. Steven Matz of the Cardinals was placed on the 15-day IL on Monday, August 14th with a left latch strain. Really bad timing for Matz, who had just started getting into a groove. Lat strains usually require several weeks of rest and rehab, so who knows if we'll see Matz again this season. Just a bummer. I mean, even as a Mets fan when he was on the Mets, He was just made of glass. He's just one of those guys that constantly gets injured. So it really stinks that once he gets going on a roll, he tends to get injured. And you just feel for the guy because that can't be fun for someone. Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals was placed on the 10-day IL on Thursday, retroactive to August 14th with a lower back strain marcus stroman of the cubs was diagnosed with a right rib cage cartilage fracture and is without a timetable to return from the 15 day il he was originally on track to return when first eligible but that plan was changed when he reported renewed discomfort on tuesday matt chapman of the blue jays has missed three straight games due to inflammation in his right middle finger consider him day to day for now and last but not least Jordan Romano of the Blue Jays was activated from the 15-day IL on Tuesday, August 15th, and promptly got his 29th save on the same day. John, any last news about this section of the notes?
1: Man, I got hit hard by the whole Steven Matz getting uh, injured thing, because he was actually on a little bit of a roll. Uh, He had a nice matchup, and then uh, he got hurt, which kind of sucks, but... That's that's kind of how you have to pivot sometimes in, in uh, fantasy baseball where even a guy that you don't necessarily care too much about, like Steven Matz, gets hurt. And then all of a sudden you have to figure out, okay, what type of pitchers can I pick up that are at the quality of Matz or can kind of replace his production, so to speak. And it's always a little fun puzzle to figure out.
2: Yeah, his production has been really good these last few weeks, and he's been really reliable for quality starts and just going some length, not giving up too many runs. So whenever someone like that goes down out of nowhere, when you pick them up to kind of probably already fill in for somebody else, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's hard to replace the replacement with someone that can give you that kind of quality. So yeah, that's definitely brutal for myself. I am super excited that Hunter Green is returning because I have him on a few teams and I have missed his strikeouts. I hope that he'll be okay. He seems to be fully stretched out for anyone who's wondering if he'll be limited in his return on Sunday. He shouldn't be. I think his last rehab started through 83 pitches. So I would not be worried about Green being on like a 60 pitch count kind of thing with Chris Sale, something like what he's going on right now. I think Hunter Green is just good to go. So if you have him in a daily league and can activate him, I would throw him in your lineup immediately. The Blue Jays haven't been too good since Bo Bichette went down with an injury. So yeah, take the gamble on Hunter Green and throw him in your lineups. But that is it for the MLB news from this week. And we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about the weekly performance recap. So stay tuned.
3: This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick 'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick the two to 2-5 to players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PitcherList and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 year older, 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 year older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789.
0: Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss.
2: All right, we are back and it's time for the Weekly Performance Recap. Just a reminder for everyone, we get most of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles on the Pitcher List website. The hitter recap and the SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read through to see how players performed each day. But, getting right into it, for the weekend, Friday to Sunday, August 11th to August 13th, John, who performed well?
1: Yeah, uh, also just a shout out to Ryan Amore, Kevin O'Brien and Mark Stubinger who write these articles over the weekend. We don't usually shout them out, but uh, that's where we get a lot of these uh, player recaps from for the weekend. And on Friday, we're going to start with Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals. Went 3-for-3 three three with a double homer, two runs, five RBI, and a walk. Uh, the Royals and the Cardinals decided to go all out on offense on Friday, combining for 20 runs total in their game. And Wilson helped out by batting in five runs, including himself with the homer, as I mentioned. Um, this is the season's kind of been a weird one for Contreras, right? A little bit of controversy with, Oh, he can't actually play catcher. We're going to move to the outfield and, you know, just frustration with the team dynamic overall there in, in St. Louis. And I don't know, he's been decent after three straight below average years in Chicago. He's actually been hitting for a little bit more contact this season. I think it's like his third best season or fourth best season based on average. So kind of right where he was, but better than it was the last three seasons. Um, He's currently slashing 261, 357, 446. So not a a ton of power in his makeup, but, you know, he's getting on base and uh, doing good stuff on the bases there. Uh, He's got, you know, good counting stats as well. He's fourth among all qualified catchers in runs and RBI as well. So he's not a, you know, he hasn't been a complete zero this year. Um, He might not really be a fantasy darling anymore. I mean, there was definitely, you know the couple years where Wilson Contreras felt like a top three catcher I don't think he's that right now but he's still contributing in health way helpful ways still to your fantasy teams on Saturday Joey Gallo of the twins went four for four with two homers two runs four RBIs and a walk Uh, it really seems like it was only a few years ago that Gallo was hitting bombs in Texas but we're actually six seasons removed from the last time Gallo hit 40 homers and I believe that was uh, 2018 so wow yeah it's been a, it's been a while since gallo was actually kind of fantasy relevant um in minnesota he's had really consistent playing time mainly because of injuries um they've always you know been putting him in the lineup usually he's batting usually seventh to ninth though because he's a liability pretty much uh he only has 20 homers on the season his striker rate is the highest of his career in any season where he had more than 125 plate appearances basically take out you know his two his two first years in the league. And uh, yeah, he's he's basically having one of the worst years of his career. His OBP is still marginally okay. I think it's, it's 307 right now, which isn't great, but it's serviceable in an OBP league sometimes. Um, but really, unless you're in a deep league, Gallo just isn't relevant for your teams. Also on Saturday, Matt Olson, who we pretty much talk about too much, but we should because he's amazing. He broke the home run race open with two homers, putting him in the lead uh, versus Shohei Atani. And currently, he still has a one-homer lead right now, forty-three to forty-two homers. So, a little shout out to Matt Olson, and then finally, uh, Zach Gilloff of the Athletics on Sunday went four for five with two homers, two runs, and two RBI. Um, there have been some positives for Oakland this year, despite being, you know, the worst team in baseball, because they've been playing with, you know, a bunch of their young players this season. Uh, just a few of those names: uh, esther Ruiz. Even though he has 150 less plate appearances than Ronald Acuna, he's only seven steals back for the lead uh, for the league lead in in steals. Brian um, Noda, who's kind of like a first baseman, I believe, or third baseman for that team, he's third among all rookies in OBP. He's top five in the AL in WRC plus um, for rookies. Tyler Sodestrom and Shea langoliers they have been showing some power as well, and they were kind of two you know, hot, like, catcher um, prospects for Oakland. Um, that being said, though, all those names, Zach Gallif actually has been probably the most impressive since the All-Star break. Um, he's only had 119 plate appearances, which, I mean, makes sense. He's been up in for about a month in the league. Um, but since the All-Star break, if you compare him to all other players, he's a top 25 player in WRC+, in homers, and in stolen bases. Um, so that's a guy who can really help you in your fantasy leagues um, he's only second base eligible, but honestly, if you need middle infield help, he is available in about half of Yahoo leagues and even less in ESPN. So yeah, if you need, um, if you need a guy who can fill in at second base, for example, Ozzy Albies just went down. Geloff might be your guy to insert into the lineup there.
2: So, I'm going to save any comments on Geloff because I'm going to mention him briefly later on. But I had to do a double take when I looked at the notes here. And I saw Joey Gallo, and I saw 4 for 4. And I thought you made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I no. didn't think that was accurate. I thought you were meant to write O oh for 4. But you no. wrote 4 for 4, and I double-checked it. And it, you're right. He had two home, or He went 4 for 4. I just yeah. couldn't believe it. I was wild. Wow, that's the only comment I really had. I just had him poke fun at Joey Gallo. <laughs> Sorry, Joey.
1: Hey, I mean, here's the thing, right? The guy, I've watched him live many times this year, right? like in the park and the dude swings at everything and then he the, the things he doesn't swing at he should be swinging at like he is probably one of the worst strike zone judgments that I've seen from a from a player and that being said even though he's playing every single day I think he he hit a homer the week before and then he hadn't hit a homer in like over a month uh so the basically the only thing that Gallo is good at which is hitting homers he hasn't been doing that this season and Because his average is so low, I think it's like 160, 180, it doesn't matter how many walks he draws, his OBP is still just at like 307, which is like pretty abysmal. Um, Yeah, so for everyone who was hoping that Gallo was going to be kind of like a breakout candidate in fantasy this year, uh, like I did at the beginning of the season, he was was hitting a lot of homers at the beginning of the season, he just hasn't really been anything, which is uh, kind of unfortunate.
2: Yeah, the one thing I will say, though, I love Joey Gallo, the human being. I think his personality is fantastic. He seems like such yeah. a nice mm-hmm. and good dude, so I mm-hmm. wish him all the luck on the field because he seems like a genuinely great dude, but I had to make fun of the 4-for-4 four four thing because the last time I saw Joey Gallo go 4-for-4, four four, I think it was 2018 when you mentioned when he was relevant in fantasy, <laughs> so I had to make a comment on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it was kind of incredible that he, he didn't somehow strike out that game. But. Yeah. Yeah, moving on to pitchers then... um, John Gray of the Rangers, the first guy we're gonna talk about on Friday. Uh he was up against the Giants, got a win in that one, seven innings, zero earned runs, two hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts. Uh after moving to Texas from Colorado, well, last year, obviously, for John Gray, I think a lot of us, you and I included, were very excited about John Gray. Um thinking, hey, he's finally, you know, out of that terrible park. He's now in, in Texas. He can finally show what he's truly made of. Um, but he really kinda wasn't very good last year. And this year is kind of much the same. He is his striker rate has gone down from 25% to 20% this year. His ERA is like a little bit better. I think it's like half a point better. Well like from 3.9 to 3.5. The whip is about the same as last year. Um and so, yeah, it just hasn't really been that great of a season for Gray. I think, you know, we've talked about it on the pod this year about how he just really isn't that fantasy that is relevant. That being said, though, his game on Friday showcased a version of Gray that can get whips. Uh He got 11 alone on the slider, um, and maybe that's kind of a sign of things to come. He also had great command. He didn't walk any batters. So here's the hoping he's figured something out. He, didn't, he wasn't great in his game yesterday. Uh, we recorded this on Thursday. So he wasn't great as game yesterday against the Angels. I believe that's who he played pitched against. But, you know, it, it wasn't like a blow up that he's been having uh, for the re- like like um the ones he's had this season. So maybe he has figured something out and we'll see um, in his next start coming up if that's something that uh is, that is sustainable for him. On Saturday, George Kirby of Seattle went up against Baltimore um, in a no decision. Went nine innings with zero earned runs, three hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts. The biggest knock on Kirby pretty much for his entire career has been his inability to get people to strike out. Um, and although in this one he did average less than a strikeout at an inning, this is actually the fifth start in a row where he's had five-plus strikeouts. So he's clearly figuring something out, I think, with his secondaries. Um and, you know, it's not just, you know, fastball heavy for, for Kirby anymore. I mean, it is still fastball heavy, but he's able to rely on his other secondaries to get, you know, strikeouts. And I think next year, Kirby is definitely going to be a guy who a lot of people are going to be looking out for um, in, in drafts and hoping to get him because he's he's turning into a legitimate ace. Um, obviously, this one, he pitched a nine-inning shutout, unfortunately got the no decision because Baltimore has just been pretty solid this this year and they were able to uh, to win this one. Um, but yeah, that all aside, great performance from Kirby, his fastball was great, and the command top tier. And then Dane Dunning of also the Texas Rangers uh, went up against the Giants. Seven innings with one in run, seven hits, no walks, and 12 strikeouts in this one. Incredible start for him. He's having a little bit of a resurgence in August. July was pretty terrible. Like just The starts in July were just not very good for Dunning. Um, but in August, he's had three straight quality starts. Um mean this one specifically his slider usage went up and it worked out he got 12 whips on the slider alone the sinker and the changeup were also great pitches he was getting fi- he got five whips um, with both of those pitches and then also was getting called strikes on the sinker as well so just good combinations all around for him helping him get yeah those 12 strikeouts and I don't know how much this lasts but his next two starts against the Brewers and the Twins both those teams love to strike out so maybe that's a good opportunity to pick up Dane Dunning from the wire. And uh, see if he's available for for your fantasy teams. So for John
2: Gray. We all know that I'm a huge fan of John Gray, and we were both excited about him coming into the season. Like, he could take that next step forward. He's learning from Jacob deGrom, and, you know, deGrom is a fastball slider guy. John Gray's a fastball slider guy, so we thought we could see some progress there. And we kind of saw that in the beginning of the season from John Gray. He started off really, really strong, but then Mm. he had that injury, came back, wasn't really that great, got injured again, came back. And now he's slowly getting back into form. He had that great performance on Friday against the Giants and then against the yep. Angels. He was pretty good, too. He went seven innings again. He had four strikeouts, mm-hmm. 1.29 ERA, 1.14 whip, quality start. So John Gray kind of seems like he's getting back on a roll. So if someone dropped him, I would probably take a speculative ad on him because the Rangers are still a great team. They're still Mm -hmm. going to win a lot of games. He's got a great offense behind him, so he might be someone that can snag you some wins. He might not pitch up to this caliber like we've seen these last two starts because he is prone to a blowup, as we all see. But I think John Gray is just a good pitcher, and I think he's not going to be a dominant ace that we were hoping he would be, but I think he's just serviceable and will be absolutely fine for the rest of the fantasy season. As for George Kirby, he is turning into an ace before our eyes, and it's really awesome to watch. I'm going to be very, very high on Kirby next season in drafts. I want a lot of shares of him. And then Dane Dunning is kind of fighting for his life in that rotation. Now, obviously, he doesn't have to do that because of all the injuries that took place, but they acquired Max Scherzer. They acquired Jordan Montgomery. They're getting all these guys in, and when people come back, when injured players like John Gray comes back into the rotation like that, and they have Andrew Heaney there, they just have so many mouths to feed that dunning really has to fight to stay in the rotation and Mm -hmm. with starts like this how do you take him out of the rotation so i think he's really earning his spot and if he's out there in your fantasy leagues just like john gray i think you gotta ride out the hot streak right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah one one interesting point i think at the beginning of the season i think a lot of people were looking at the two seattle young pitchers right george kirby and Logan gilbert and they're both very similar makeups right really good fastballs not really any good secondaries um Kirby's taken that step right to be kind of the, that guy that legitimate ace Gilbert not as much um I mean he was a little bit he was kind of in trade talks actually this during the during the deadline um but it'll be interesting to see kind of the I wouldn't say it's the discount that you get on drafting Gilbert next year like obviously he's not gonna be as good as Kirby but there's a chance here that something that maybe they figure something out with with Gilbert as well even though he hasn't been as good as Kirby this season.
2: Gilbert has shown flashes of greatness, so we've seen some dominant performances from him, and I think Gilbert Mm -hmm. has a little bit more strikeout upside than Kirby, as we've seen that Kirby's more of a compiler, kind of like Sandy Alcantara, but I like them both, and I do like the discount on Logan Gilbert if there is one next season, Mm -hmm. just to have a bounce-back season and to be elite, because... He's been serviceable this year. He's been absolutely fine, but he hasn't taken that next step that we were hoping he would. And George Kirby's kind of doing that. We just need to see the strikeouts go up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I like both of them. I think the Seattle Mariners in general have a rotation that you want across the board for Fantasy Castillo, Robbie Ray, Kirby, Gilbert. You've got Wu, Hancock. There's a lot of good names pitching in Seattle. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to Monday, August 14th. From the Daily Hitting Recap article by Andrew Abramo, we start with Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals. He went two for two with a homer, two runs, two RBI, two walks, and a stolen base. Goldie has been having a pretty weird season, but so have the Cardinals, so maybe his performance is being affected due to lack of motivation because of the team context. But without that speculation, regardless, Monday was a great day for him. This was Goldie's first homer. I couldn't believe this when I researched it. It was his first homer since July 26th, and his first stolen base since July 25th. So it's nice to see him get going again, and we all know what he's capable of doing for the rest of the season, but it's been a very strange year for Goldschmidt, who you probably took in the second round-ish of your drafts. So hopefully that didn't affect your teams too much, because Goldby's still been pretty good, but he's not been that elite first base option that you kind of expected on draft day. Marcus Semyon of the Rangers went two for five with a homer, a run, five RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. Semyon is having a monster season counting stat wise, mainly because the Rangers are just one of the best offenses in baseball. Semyon has 96 runs and 78 RBI so far on the year, and that's mainly batting leadoff. So pretty crazy to have 80 RBI almost batting leadoff, obviously with the team being so good from one to nine. Those are going to happen. And he's also had 19 homers and 11 stolen bases he's easily a top three second base and shortstop for fantasy he has both of those eligibilities on yahoo and man he is just really really good this season eddie rosario of the braves went three for five with a double a homer three runs and four rbi he's only 17 percent roster on yahoo which i found pretty strange because he plays pretty much every day and bats sixth or seventh in that braves lineup so if you want some free cheap exposure to the braves lineup Eddie Rosario is pretty much out there. He's had a 250 average, 18 homers, 50 runs, and 57 RBI this season. He should be rostered in deeper leagues and five outfield leagues for sure, but if he gets a little hot streak, he could be a league winner as well down the stretch. So if you need a hot bat or someone just in the Braves lineup, like I said, Eddie Rosario might be your guy. And last but not least, Josh Bell of the Marlins went two for four with a homer, a run, and an RBI. Bell has really picked things up as of late. In August, Bell is slashing 309, 377, 636 with 5 homers, 3 doubles, 11 runs, and 10 RBI. Maybe the trade to the Marlins gave Bell some motivation. So it's good to see because I think he had like 10 runs in the first 2 months of playing for the Guardians. Where it was like not even serviceable. It made no sense. He's already gotten that in just 1 month with the Marlins. So it's good to see Josh Bell rebounding a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's actually kind of hilarious that all it took for the Marlins to you know get some offense going was getting Josh Bell um Arise is hitting homers now like the rest of the Marlins team actually like kind of figured something out offensively not saying Josh Bell fixed them but you know in in some respects it's kind of like he he figured something out and the rest of the team is, is following with him and uh yeah Rosario kind of a good point there I think he homered again on Wednesday as well so he's he's swinging a hot bat right now uh definitely so you should you know, try to pick him up if you have an extra spot available in the outfield.
2: Yeah, he was someone down the stretch, I believe, two seasons ago, maybe three. I don't know. My memory's a little bit foggy with him specifically, but there was a stretch in August or September where Rosario was going off. And in the playoffs, he was going off as well. So players that are capable of that can really carry you in a week of fantasy baseball. So, Eddie Rosario might be a guy that can help you out if you have any outfield problems currently, but I would probably say just in deeper leagues and five outfield leagues, he should definitely be owned. Moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article, Singer in the Moment by Nick Pollock. We start with the title boy himself, Brady Singer of the Royals. He went 7.1 innings pitched, two earned runs, two hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Mariners. Singer continues to execute his slider and command it beautifully, and if he can consistently do that, then he could consistently put up lines like this. The Mariners do tend to strike out a lot, so maybe the whiffs and Ks are a bit of a mirage, but Singer has been rolling lately, putting up more nice performances like this, rather than the clunkers like he did earlier this season. He had a 27% CSW, which is okay, and 13 whiffs, but like I said, the Mariners strike out a lot. But Singer's been doing really well. We've seen some great performances from him these past few weeks. And if he's out there, you just got to run with the hot hand. Because in fantasy, you got to go with the ebbs and flows. And right now, Singer is flowing. So make sure you grab him if he's out there. He's not a certified ace. He's not going to give you amazing numbers every time out. But right now, he's got everything clicking. And that slider seems to be working perfectly in the last few starts. Next, we have Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles. He went seven innings pitch, one earned run, three hits, one walk, and six strikeouts against the Padres. This was easily the best start in G Rod's career, going seven innings for the very first time in the majors. His fastball sat 99 miles per hour, and at one point, he hit 101 miles per hour in this start. Rodriguez's command looks solid, executing a decent version of the Blake Snell blueprint, and really flashed what made us excited about the number one overall pitching prospect. It's good to see because when he came up initially, he got rocked. So it's great to see that he is performing up to what we know he can do. And then just two quick shout outs, Max Scherzer of the Rangers. He went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, one hit, one walk, and 11 strikeouts against the Angels. His best start in a Rangers uniform, 20 whiffs and a 35% CSW. Pretty wild. And then of course, Merrill Kelly of the Diamondbacks, who went against Colorado in cores and put up the line of six innings pitched, two earned runs, five hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts. Scherzer had 20 whiffs. Well, Merrill Kelly got 21 whiffs with a golden goal on the day, so really impressive performance there. If you started him at cores, I did, which little victory lap there, thank you. Merrill Kelly looks really good this season. He's been a great pitcher for everyone in fantasy.
1: Yeah, uh, shout out to Brady Singer, who I think had a perfect game going through five innings and yep. in a no hitter through six. Right? Um, yeah, and obviously the the, <laughs> the final line isn't as pretty as you would have liked it to be, but. Um, he's, he's cooking and it's, uh, it's kind of weird. Cause I currently in my, uh, my home league where I'm, I'm, in the playoffs right now in the semifinals, I have two Kansas city starters on my team. Wow. And I feel very good about it in Brady Singer and Cole Reagans. Yeah. I <laughs> like, agree yeah. with that. I have Reagan's I don't, I don't, on a few
2: teams too. And Reagan's yeah. looks like the truth. Brady Singer has been rolling. So yeah, you can't be mad at it, especially in like quality start leagues in wins leagues. You can be yeah. like, uh, okay. 100%. Probably yeah. not going to get me too much, but mm-hmm. in quality starter leagues, both of these guys can be really, really good.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, Grayson too. I was thinking about picking him up for a stream, and you know, it, it worked out for him, which was pretty solid. And I think he's he's turning stuff around. He looked a little shaky at the beginning of the season for sure, but it's nice to get some good performances under your belt, knowing that you can kind of hang in the majors. And while I don't think this season will really will be the season where we see the true breakout, I think it's a good building block for next season what he can actually do um with a full season of experience under his belt. I definitely agree with
2: that and the way he started the season, I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be a prime buy low candidate in drafts okay. next season. I think definitely. his draft yeah. position is going to be like 14th, 15th round where you can take a snag on him because sure he's got the name and the prospect pedigree, but I don't think people are going to chomp at the bit to grab him in the first 10 rounds. Mm-hmm. So Getting him outside of that, he might be one of those guys like a George Kirby this season where you were drafting him later on or Logan Gilbert that can perform well. So, yeah, Grayson Rodriguez is definitely someone to keep an eye on for next season.
1: Yeah, definitely like top 30 pitcher talent.
2: Yeah, oh, easily. Sure. Easily.
1: Yeah. Uh, moving on to Tuesday's games, thanks to Mark Stubinger for the daily hitting recap article. We're going to start with Tiasco Hernandez, who went five for five with a double, a homer, a run, and three RBIs. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit, but uh, we I had a lot of preseason hype for Hernandez despite him getting traded from probably one of the better hitter-friendly parks in Toronto to one of the least-friendly uh, hitter parks in uh, Seattle. But part of the reason there was his power was so good that uh, pretty much all his homers that he would have hit last year would have been homers in Seattle as well. So I felt, you know, that's going to be fine. Unfortunately, it's been a eh, not great season. He's failed to replicate the last three years of his success. Uh, in that new home he's dealing with career lows and OBP and slugging and while he might replicate his counting stats from last year I'm sure most fantasy managers were hoping him for to be to be better than last year last year was kind of a down year for him to be honest Um, he did have a spike in the middle of the season where he was one of the best hitters in the majors based on kind of the PLV metrics that we had but he's since regressed down to the 25th percentile in hit performance However, he is seeing a bit of an uptick in that metric. So here's our hoping that as the Mariners make this playoff push, that he's able to contribute to that because he has kind of been a nothing burger for them since the all-star break. And then Corey Seager of the Rangers, three for five with two homers, two runs and five RBI. Um, kind of joke about this, but our monthly check in on Corey Seager, because I think we just love talking about him because of how good he is. And also I think he's on both of our TGFBI teams. Um, Corey Seager really is playing like an MVP candidate. Um, if you look at all batters with more than 300 plate appearances, Seager is second in average, third in OBP, second in slugging, and first in WRC+. And the only other player that can claim to be in the top five of all of those categories is Freddie Freeman. Um, sure, he doesn't really have the counting stats, right? Like, he's down in homers, RBIs, and runs this season, obviously, because of injury. He doesn't really steal bases. But he's basically been playing at an MVP level for any of the games that he's been available. So uh, honestly, yeah, we missed about a month and a half of Corey Seager, and that kind of sucked. But um, other than that, he's been really, really good. You and I both really liked Teoscar Hernandez
2: (laughs) going into Mm -hmm. this season. And I had multiple shares of him in a 12-team satellite league in NFBC, in a dynasty league I drafted Teoscar Hernandez. Just Lots of exposure to Teoscar, and he's been really, really bad. He's been a rock in the lineup recently, and it stinks to see. I don't think anyone really expected him to have such a down year like he's having, Mm -hmm. but this is just astronomically bad, and I think he's going to be a buy-low guy next season as well, where maybe you get him at the very end of your drafts and just chuck him in the last spot of your outfield, and hopefully he performs because he's been doing horribly, but this 5-for-5 game at least shows that he has sign of life. And earlier... We obviously saw that, like you said, in the PLV metrics, he was looking good and mm-hmm. he just kind of flamed out, which is very annoying because Teoscar was someone who I was very excited about. And then Corey Seager, yeah, we have him on our TGFBI teams and he is just so elite. I mean, he's got a 348 batting average in 78 games right now. That yeah. is crazy. He's got an OBP of 411 I mean, Seager is just so good and he reminds me a lot. Of Freddie Freeman. Obviously now Freddie's stealing bases at an astronomical clip, so that's yeah. kind of relevant. But if you took older Freddie Freeman, which which is funny because I mean younger Freddie Freeman from two years ago, Corey Seager pretty much kind of looks like the same player where he's going to hit mm-hmm. 30 homers, bat over 300, have 100 RBI, 100 runs. Like, Seager is just an elite bat at shortstop.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible to see what he's doing this season. Um, yeah, despite the injury. Uh, taking away his games. So it's unfortunate that he likely won't be an MVP candidate, um, but in our minds, I think he should be. Yeah, if only he could stay
2: healthy. If he stayed healthy this season, I think he would have like 40 homers and batten 320. Like, come on. That's crazy.
1: Would have been fun. Uh, Moving on to pitchers, uh, thanks to Nick Pollock for the faltered state article, uh, SP Roundup article. Uh, We're going to start with Logan Allen of the guardians who went up against cincinnati uh in cincinnati actually got the win here six innings with zero earned runs four hits three walks and seven strikeouts alan showed a bit of everything in this start with whiff inducing secondaries namely his slider and his changeup, but also a bit of poor command which has been kind of a theme for him three walks that being said though uh that command was at least good enough to not let the reds do any damage with extra base runners uh, obviously eliminating them the four hits is pretty nice and the strikeouts are actually his highest total in the last month. So a little bit of a little little resurgence for him. And he gets the Tigers next. So I think he should be startable in that one. If um, And he's probably available in your leagues as well. Uh, Jordan Montgomery of the Rangers. Talking a lot about Rangers pitchers today, I guess. But um, he went up against the Angels. Got a win in this one. Six innings, one and run, six hits, no walks, and nine strikeouts. When everything's working for Jormont, it's a beautiful thing. That changeup and that curveball working together. Got 13 whips in this one. Uh, and the command, which has been an issue uh, this season, kind of a non-factor in this game, had zero walks. Uh, obviously, the ninth strikeouts are great. Uh, starts like this, though, unfortunately come rarely from Montgomery. Uh, it's rare that like he's able to limit this much damage. That being said, though, he is a quality start machine. He's got eight in his last 10 starts and 15 on the season, which is good for 10th among all starters.
2: Yeah, Jordan Montgomery was such an interesting acquisition because... I don't think anyone saw it coming that he would go to Texas. I know that he was available and that he might get traded, but it seems not too long ago where the Yankees traded him to the Cardinals in that Mm -hmm. Harrison Bader trade. So it's wild to see them let go of Montgomery. It makes sense, but the fact that he's on the Rangers, I mean, the Rangers have such a good rotation too if everyone's healthy. I mean, think about it. Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, Jordan Montgomery, Andrew Heaney, John Gray. The list goes on. You got Nathan Yavaldi, Dane Dunning. I mean, what is going on that's like eight great pitchers (laughs) so they are just enriched with talent over there in texas and this is an amazing start from joe Mont with nine k's against the angels only one earned run no walks i think that's the big part if he's not walking anybody he's looking really good and then logan Mm -hmm. allen yeah he's a serviceable guy i was really excited about him when he first got called up and he had that really good first four starts you know Mm -hmm. he looked solid like someone who was just going to replicate it every time and he kind of let me down from that point on where I kind of cut bait with him everywhere. Yeah. And now I just consider him to be one of the high-end streamer guys in good matchups. And this was a good matchup, and the next time he gets the Tigers, so if you need a streamer, he's someone I would run out there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I was looking up some stats on those rookie Guardian pitchers because, you know, they've been trotting out a lot of them this season. And yep. Allen has the second-most innings out of all of them. Uh... Although, ironically, I think out of him, Bybee, and Gavin Williams, I think the most hype right now is for Gavin Williams for sure. But um, Bybee and Allen have been, yeah, just, you know, really high-end streamers. Bybee's probably been more of a guy that you're keeping on your roster, but yes, um, all those guys really have been cranking out really solid performances this year. It just so happens that Allen just has been a, not as polished as, as the rest of them.
2: Yeah, Bybee is definitely performing amazing right now. He's been really, really good. And I was really excited about him too. So I love that he's performing well. And then Gavin Williams, his last two starts have been phenomenal. Of course, they come after I drop him in several leagues because I needed the space for other people or people came back from the injured list. So I said, ah, you know what? Gavin Williams really isn't going over four innings. And then what does he do? Pitch the two best starts of his career so far and looks way more confident. So Don't like that for me personally, but I love that for him because he is a talented young man. So hopefully we'll see more of Gavin Williams very soon. Moving on to Wednesday, August 16th from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton. We start with a bunch of players who hit double dingers. There were loads of great hitter performances on Wednesday, but the double dongs from the day were Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks, who went 3-for-3 with two homers, three runs, four RBI, and two walks. Bryce Harper of the Phillies, who went 3-for-4 with two homers, three runs, two RBI, and a walk. Stone Garrett of the Nationals, who went 2-for-4 with two homers, two runs, two RBI. DJ Stewart of the Mets, who went 2-for-4 with two homers, two runs, and three RBI. And Spencer Torkelson of the Tigers, who went 2-for-5 with two homers, two runs, and two RBI. John spoke about Torkelson a little bit last week. And Torkelson's been on fire. He has been every little bit of the guy that you wanted when he got called up. Because we were expecting a high power number guy from the first base slot with a really good hitting tool. And that's what he was always hyped up to be. And we kind of didn't see that when he first started. He was striking out a lot. He wasn't performing well. The power really wasn't there. He wasn't lifting the ball. And he's doing just that nowadays. And he looks like he really clicked. And how about those Tigers? They have a nice little young core of Kerry Carpenter, Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green. Those guys are going to be really good. So it's cool to see that they're all clicking at one time. And the Tigers are actually an exciting team to watch. And I always thought that Spencer Torkelson was kind of like a Christian Walker light where maybe he can be a 35 homer 100 RBI guy in the future and speaking of Christian Walker he had two homers on Wednesday of course it came at cores where he is just dominating and yes. Christian Walker has been dominating the whole year to be honest I mean he's been insane he's been a top five first baseman all year especially from where he's been drafted people just didn't mm-hmm. give enough respect to Christian Walker because yeah. like I said several times on this podcast, I was super high on Christian Walker because I was super high on Corbin Carroll, Cattell Marte, and those guys are batting ahead of Christian Walker. So I assumed another 30 homer, 100 RBI campaign at the least, and he's doing that and more. So really nice to see out of Christian Walker. And then Bryce Harper with his two homers, it's nice to see him getting back on track. He really had like no power for quite some time and it's slowly coming back. So good to see that from him. And then last, I was going to talk about Zach Geloff. We already talked about him earlier in the podcast, but he went four for five with two doubles, a run, two RBI, and a stolen base on Wednesday. It's just pretty incredible that he's slashing 294, 353, and 633 after being called up post All-Star break. And in just 28 games played, he has eight homers and seven stolen bases. So like John said, if you lost Ozzy Albies to injury, if you need middle infield help, Zach Geloff looks like the truth. And he kind of looks like a light version of Matt McClain of the Reds, who went three for five with a double, a homer, a run, three RBI, and two stolen bases on Wednesday. McClain now has 13 homers and 11 steals in 353 plate appearances with a 130 WRC+. He has been so good for the Reds since being called up. So Geloff McClain, if... McLean happens to be out there in your league, which I highly doubt. But if he's out there, Geloff, if you need help in the middle infield, both of those guys have been awesome.
1: Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned Torque because um yeah, a lot of those homers came against the twins <laughs> in the oh, last yeah, two right. series. Yep. Uh yeah, he had the double dog day on Wednesday, and then last week he had another double dog day. Um and I don't I mean, I wanna say he's turning it around. The fact is he's only had these games against the twins. Maybe he's figured out something with Twins Pitching, but (laughs) it at least is a good sign that the power is still there, you know? Um, And like you mentioned, it's a really good young core there. Um, It's a team that uh, this year, frankly, has been underperforming, but I don't think it's because of the young players necessarily. Uh, Riley Green has definitely, uh, you know, other than the injury for sure, he's become a player that you can rely on in fantasy for sure. Um, their pitching has been a little suspect. Javi Baez still swings at anything, um, but it's a team that is kind of on the up and up, and uh, it's it's been impressive to see. I mean, they're only uh, what they're twelve games below five hundred, which like isn't great, but for a team that was drafting number one overall just a couple of years ago, that's that's a really solid turnaround. So good on Torque, and then yeah, we've I mean we've talked about Walker enough on this podcast on how much both you and I are fans of him, and you know. His stats might might not completely show that he's a top five uh, first baseman, but I think because he contributes on a really regular basis, it just, uh, yeah, he's just too good to not be at least you know keep an eye out on. You know, I would be surprised next year if Walker is still criminally underdrafted and does better than guys that are ahead of him like uh, Paul Goldschmidt um, or or Vlad Guerrero. You know, like Walker could be easily matching those guys' performances next season as well.
2: Without a doubt, and right now I just looked up, in terms of roto stats, mm-hmm. the top five first basemen goes Matt Olsen, Freddie Freeman, Pete Alonso, Christian Walker, and then Cody Bellinger because he has first base eligibility. Oh, sure, yeah. Followed by Paul Goldschmidt, Justin Turner, Yandy Diaz. The list goes on, but Vlad's not even on this list. He's down at, what number is this? 6, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 under mm-hmm. Jamer Candelario, Zach Paredes, Spencer Steer. So Vlad's been having such a down season, which maybe is a conversation in its own right. But to be fair, I mean, Christian Walker deserves the respect. And like you said, he's probably going to go drafted next season. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great opportunity to scoop him up because if you think about it, Olsen, Freeman, and Alonzo are all going to go in the first two rounds. You have to <laughs> think that those guys are going to go there. And mm-hmm. next is going to be like Goldschmidt, Walker, Vlad, but I think Walker is going to be the last of that group, and I think he's going to yep. go way later than that group. So yep. it's pretty impressive to think that someone can go so late. Meanwhile, they have so far 28 homers this season, 82 RBI, even eight steals he's chipped in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, really impressive season from Christian Walker. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday, we have the SP Roundup article. It's a beautiful gray by Nick Pollock. It felt like every ace, quote-unquote, pitched poorly on Wednesday, Luis Castillo, Kevin Gaussman, Aaron Nola, Justin Verlander, even Kent Maeda, who's not in the same group as those guys. They all pitched really bad, and it was truly a one-night bland, as Nick calls it. However, there were a few great starts, and we start with Reed Detmers of the Angels, who went 7.1 innings pitched, no earned runs, one hit, four walks, five strikeouts against the Rangers. Detmers no-hit the Rangers through seven innings before finally giving up a double to Marcus Semien in the eighth. He didn't have a single pitch above a 30% CSW in this one, and his fastball velocity was down about a tick or two. He was usually over 95 with the fastball, and he was sitting 93-94. However, he commanded the slider and curveball much better in this one and decided to go east to west with his four-seam fastball instead of elevating it like normal. Nick actually just released a video on the Pitcher List YouTube channel called Reed Detmers was a different pitcher against Texas Arsenal Breakdown, explaining all of this and talking about it in greater detail than I ever could, so make sure you go and check that out. But Detmers had himself a great start in a game that most people probably benched him for. I know I did in TGFBI and in another NFVC league. I just left him on the bench and said, Texas, -uh, no way, not happening. And he just, of course, had his second best start of the year, probably. So thanks a lot, Detmers. Next, we have Mike Clevenger of the White Sox, who went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts against the Cubs. Clevenger has been sneakily good since the beginning of the second half. In the last month in which he threw 23 innings, Clevenger has had a 1.57 ERA, a 0.96 whip, and 18 strikeouts with two quality starts. His stuff doesn't look amazing like it once did, but he's managing to get results right now. The best part is his next three starts come against the Mariners, the Athletics, and the Tigers. I mean, if there's any time to pick up and start Clevenger, this is the time because that schedule is too good to resist. And then just two shoutouts, Paul Blackburn of the Athletics went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, six hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Cardinals. He dominated with his secondaries. The curve, slider, and changeup had a 47% CSW total. Pretty nuts. And then Charlie Morton of the Braves, he went six innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, one walk, and 10 strikeouts against the Yankees. This was his best start of the season by far. He had a 40% percent csw in this one with 15 whiffs so nice to see a little bit of uncle charlie kicking some butt
1: yeah i detmer's man he is a guy who sometimes he just walks into these starts and uh just figures something out and uh it, one i think once he gets all his pitches together like he could be legitimately good i think it's he's just so inconsistent right where he'll have a star like this and then the next start maybe he plays a team like you know detroit or something and just gives up, like, four runs. Yep, <laughs> it's like, yep, every it time. Feels like what, it just feels like that's the Demers thing, and his curveball is, like, disgusting. Um, Like, just watching that curveball whenever he throws it, it's just like, that is... That falls through the zone, like, really well. Um, So, I, I want him to be good, and, uh, you know, I picked him up for a couple starts at the beginning of the season, hoping he was going to turn out okay, and just, it hasn't been it. So, it's a little unfortunate, and... um yeah, shout out to Clev, um, and he's, you know, good good strikeout numbers. And all those teams that you mentioned love to strike out. So if, if that's something that you need help with on your fantasy teams, Clev's a, yeah, definitely a good streaming option if he's available.
2: Yeah, oh, for sure. And I think with Detmers, it's so tough because he clearly has such great stuff, right? Like, yeah. his stuff is so good, but he just doesn't put it together properly. On a consistent basis. And it's infuriating to watch. Like, he's one of those guys that reminds me, like, Dylan Cease. I can't stand (laughs) watching him because he has such nasty stuff. And then he'll walk, like, five people in the first inning. And I'm like, I just can't deal with this. It gives me anxiety to watch. So, (laughs) Detmers is just one of those guys that I think he's so nasty. I want him to be so good. I have so much faith. But he just never does it. I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, more maturity for sure would be... Probably helpful for him and just being able to, um, you know, feel more confident about all his pitches working together well. I mean, he, he's still really young. There's still plenty of time for him to figure stuff out. But, um, yeah, for fantasy managers, we only care about right now, right? So yep,
2: it's, exactly it's a harder for us. Yeah, no, without a doubt.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, moving on to Thursday's games. Uh, let's be honest, there really wasn't much because there was only six games scheduled and one of them was postponed. So. A little bit of a struggle finding some good uh, players, but um, still some some good performances to talk about. Uh, Joey Manessas of the Nationals, uh, he went two for five with two doubles, two runs, and five RBI. Uh, he was facing off against his former organization, actually in the Red Sox, which I thought was a fun little tidbit. Um, and he managed to get five uh, runs batted in without hitting a single homer, which is kind of a rare feat, I guess. Uh, after his really solid rookie season last year where he slashed three twenty four, three sixty seven and five sixty-three. He's just been more pedestrian this year. He's only managed eleven homers, he's slashing two eighty-one, three twenty-nine, four eighteen. Well I remember Vanessa's I was like kind of high on during the preseason because a lot of projections were hyping him up as like a potential 30 homer guy. But yeah, this season the power just really hasn't been there. Um he's had like a similar number of plate appearances to last where he was at last year and he has half the homers where he where he was last year. He does have very similar RBI and run numbers, though, so that's pretty good. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, he hasn't really been that, you know, dark horse first base candidate that a lot of people were hoping him to be. Um, honestly, he was kind of getting overdrafted, I think, at the beginning of the season, and, and that um, just, yeah, hasn't really worked out for managers. Um, the one guy we really want to talk about, though, is Julio Rodriguez, who went 5-for-5 five five with five RBIs today, uh, including a homer. What's more impressive is his night on Wednesday, which we didn't talk about. He went four for six with two doubles, a run, two RBI, and two stolen bases. So uh, it was a little unfortunate for me because I'm facing him in fantasy this week in the playoffs. So I'm <laughs> you know, kind of rooting against him. Uh, so I guess it serves me right that he decides to have basically two of the best games of his career yep. uh, back-to-back Um yeah, J-Rod's kind of been interesting this season because a lot of people were expecting him to take kind of the next big step, which is kind of a lot to ask for him as he had a really good rookie season. You know, like what what, really, how big is the next step? Um, and yeah, he's not as good as he was last season, but that's fine. He's still top 10 among outfielders in runs and RBI, top 15 in homers. You know, that's, you know, maybe not a guy that you're drafting first overall, which you know, some people were thinking about early the season. It was like, oh, you know, J-Rod, like yeah, he's like number five, number six in in uh in terms of player rankings, but maybe he's number one. Um he hasn't necessarily been that this season. But that being said, he's still contributing for your fantasy teams. Um, I'd be interested to see what his price looks like um next year. I, I still think he doesn't make it out of the first round, but our our managers gonna shy a little bit away from, from drafting J-Rod so high um or are they gonna be like no i'm still in the talent is still there um clearly he's he's as good of a player as advertised i believe he's like the first seattle mariner to go back to back in 20 like 20 homer seasons um for a while so he's had a really impressive you know two years here and it's really interesting to see what the third year is going to bring for him
2: I definitely think Julio is a first round pick next season. I think just off of name value alone, people are going to take him. Mm -hmm. I think he'll be more of a late first round guy though. Like kind of where Mike Trout was going this season. I think that's where Julio will go next season. Obviously if he finishes really strong and hot, like how we expect him to be and what he's been doing recently, then things change. He probably is a beginning of the first round kind of guy, but As of right now, the way the numbers look, I would expect him to be late first round. And rightfully so. I mean, he's got tons of potential. We know what he can do. We saw the potential in his rookie season. We're expecting him to take the next step of going like 30, 30, 40, 40 kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's, like you said, tough to expect out of a guy who's in his sophomore season. So we got to cut him a little slack. He's heating up right now, which is great. So it's nice to see that out of Julio. But I think the same kind of thing is going to happen with Corbin Carroll, where Next season, if he goes 15 homers, 25 steals, people are going to be like, oh, this is a bad year for Corbin. Meanwhile, it's so impressive what he's been doing, Mm -hmm. what he's done. So, rookies are so weird because people expect so much from you, especially with guys of the talent and caliber of Julio and Carroll, that it's really just unfair to put that much weight on their shoulders.
1: Yeah. Like, Carroll might have, what, a 25-40 season? Like, that's definitely possible for him. Oh, yeah. It can he go 25-50, you know, like, like that would be incredible. And then, you know, next year you're going to draft him expecting 25-50. Like, no, that's just not going to happen. Like, right. I mean, Carroll's he,
2: stats right now, he has 21 homers, 37 steals. So, yeah. I mean, if you even got that for a full season next year, that would be impressive and perfect. I mean, yeah. the fact that he might go 25-40 or 30-40 this season, that's just absurd in his rookie year. I mean, that's so impressive.
1: Right. I mean, it's like people getting disappointed that Cedric Mullins didn't go 30-30 his second year, right? Which, like, granted, it was, like, a little bit worse than 30-30, right? It wasn't like, oh, he's close, like a 29-28 season. Like, he was worse than 30-30. That being said, though, it's so hard to replicate that that sort of performance, you know? Like, it, it you have to be, like, a, a legitimate, like, Hall of Fame caliber player, in your second year of playing Major League Baseball to be able to be like, no, I'll do 30-30 for the rest of my career. Like, that that's what I'm going to achieve. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's just, uh, we just expect a lot of out of these guys. And um, I think it's okay when they don't completely meet our expectations.
2: I agree. It's very hard, like I said, to put that weight on their shoulders because they are just 20-year-olds <laughs> and they're playing so well. I mean, you want them to do great and I expect them to do great, but... Is it really fair to expect that? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I think that both of these guys are super talented. Julio, obviously, two incredible nights in a row. And I'm excited to see the rest of the season from him.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, moving on to pitchers. Uh, two guys I was not expecting to talk about this season. Uh, but here we go. Uh, Patrick Corbin of the Nationals. Six innings with four hits, one in run, and six strikeouts. Um, I'll just, you know get the get the lead out of the way uh no this doesn't mean go pick up patrick corbin uh this season he's gone he's had one game where he's went seven shutout innings with nine strikeouts and then the next start he went five innings gave up 10 hits and six runs with two strikeouts like this man is so inconsistent he's been incredibly unreliable like there's just no good matchup for him because he could blow up in any matchup and then get those random starts where it's like oh yeah that worked out i uh i'd had a really good start from corbin so Unless you're in like an incredibly deep, like NL only league, and even then, like, you know, what are you doing rostering Patrick Corbin? Um, I don't really see a reason to, you know, hype him up. If you did, if you were lucky enough to stream him in this one, congratulations. Uh, but yeah, for the rest of us, um, this is not really a start that you can really trust at all. And then Jose Quintana of the Mets, uh, six innings with three hits, two and runs, four walks, and five strikeouts. Quintana picked up a quality start here. Which actually continues a streak of five straight quality starts for Quintana, which is kind of impressive. His calling card this time was the curveball, and his previous start was the fastball. Uh, but this time the curveball got four whips, five called strikes. Uh just a really solid pitch for him. And the funny thing was that his last start was a gem against Atlanta. And now he gets Atlanta again. Uh obviously we've been singing their praises. One of the best offenses in the majors. Um And it'll be interesting to see if they figured it out or if Quintana knows something on how to pitch to that team. Uh, So, you know, I guess start at your own uh, risk. I don't think I would do it, but uh, he did handle them last time. So maybe that recency bias is uh, something worth holding on to.
2: Yeah, Quintana's been really good for the Mets. It's unfortunate that we haven't had him all season because if we did, maybe things would be different. Same with Edwin Diaz. Like, Maybe just a few things go different in the Mets direction that it's a different season. But Quintana has been a very good highlight for this second half where we have him for a little bit of time. So the fact that we can have a rotation with him in it and Senga and maybe get some pieces around it. We're not looking too bad, but I don't know if we could just rely on Quintana to be our guy, but he's been really good and he's been very impressive since coming back from the IL. So I'm happy to see that. But now we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll give you all some pitcher and hitter streamers for the week ahead. We'll be back after this. We are back, and it's time for the pitcher and hitter streamers. John, who do we have for the week ahead for pitchers?
1: Yeah, for pitchers, uh, just some quick hits here. Uh, Tick Skubal, 43% roster in Yahoo, but 16% on ESPN, which is why he makes the mark here. He goes against the Cubs. Unfortunately, he got his start postponed today on Thursday. Tomorrow, he gets uh, Cleveland, so I guess maybe see how that start goes before... uh, before picking him up but his fastball's legit like he's a guy who nick put as an auto start so if a guy's an auto start and he's still available in a majority of leagues um i think that's a guy that you have to pick up uh paul blackburn we just talked about him he's eight percent roster on on yahoo three percent on espn just went seven innings uh seven shutout innings with eight strikeouts he gets kansas city now um i think that's a really good opportunity for more strikeouts from blackburn um and yeah i think that's a that's a matchup that i think i'm personally going to be streaming too in in some of my leagues uh brandon Fott of the diamondbacks he's eight percent rostered on yahoo two percent on espn he goes up against cincinnati at home uh in in arizona so that's kind of why i'm recommending this one it's a chance at a win the diamondbacks do well um Maybe a quality start for Fott. He's just unfortunately not super consistent, which I think a lot of managers have been dealing with this season where you know there was a lot of maybe a little preseason hype around Fott um, and he hasn't completely met it. Um, but he's had some good starts recently, so maybe that that allows him to pick up on that and do well against Cincinnati. And then finally, I mean, we mentioned him already. Detmers, he didn't necessarily qualify as a streamer because he's 33, 33, 33% rostered on Yahoo, 30% rostered on ESPN. Uh, but he does go up against Cincinnati as well, you know, at home in Los Angeles. And so I think that's a start that you likely, uh, Demers is likely available in your leagues. And that's one that I think is a, a really good streaming opportunity there too.
2: I wish Skubal was available in my leagues. I wish any <laughs> league had him available, but sadly it's not. I'm playing with a lot of smart people and they have Skubal rostered. I too think I'm going to take advantage of that Paul Blackburn start. So if mm-hmm. I had to rank these, I, you know, Tariq Skubal for me is not a streamer just because I know in all my leagues he's gone. Right. But exactly. Skubal's one. Then I would put Blackburn. Then unfortunately, I'll put Detmers three. I just, I don't know. Brandon Fott, like you said, is not consistent. So I'll put him at four. But mm-hmm. I like these guys. I think I'm definitely going to do Paul Blackburn though. So. If you guys need to stream anybody, my big golden star, take that guy, is Paul Blackburn. I think that Mm -hmm. will be the good stream. Even though the Royals have heated up as of late, every time I stream against the Royals, it's wrong and bad. And Cutter Crawford, we recommended, I called it. I said it looks too much like bait, where he's going to stink, and he stunk. I just... Don't know about these guys. The Royals right now are playing pretty well. So stream at your own risk. But I personally think I will be streaming Paul Blackburn. And if we all do that, then we can all sulk together or celebrate together. So
1: that is how I'm approaching those streamers. I'm trying to remember. I, I forgot who I started. I think it was Emerson Hancock on Tuesday. Yeah, against the Royals. Against the Royals. And it was going great. You know, I think yep. it was like four out innings or something like that. And then Bobby and then Witt. Bobby Witt, man. Like... Bobby Wood legitimately, like, I know that team isn't doing well, but he's legitimately, like, breaking a bunch of these streams wide open. Yeah, Because it's like, oh, Kansas City, they should be fine. Bobby Wood's like, eh, I'm just going to hit, like, two homers or, you know, just, like... Yeah, Bobby Wood's just been killing these guys. Yeah, like... Like, even though the team isn't doing well, Bobby Witt is, like, probably the reason why a bunch of teams have lost in fantasy.
2: I think that is 100% correct. (laughs) I think that is very (laughs) accurate. Bobby Witt has ruined these streams. The Royals are still good to stream against. Just try to buy Bobby Witt a beer beforehand because (laughs) it is not going well when he is in the lineup. As for the hitter recommendation for the week, I was going to recommend Torkelson, again, mm-hmm. who I've already done before. He's only 39% rostered on Yahoo, or Kerry Carpenter, his teammate, who's a lot more rostered at 52% on Yahoo, which if either are out there, you should pick them up because they're on fire. But I decided to go with a deeper cut this week. Matt Walner of the Twins. He's 7% mm-hmm. rostered on Yahoo, probably negative 4% rostered on ESPN. This one is for much deeper leagues, 14 teams and deeper five outfield leagues, stuff like that. In only 126 plate appearances, Walner has slashed 239, 341, 523 with nine homers, 20 runs, 22 RBI, and two stolen bases. Four of those homers, 13 of those RBI, and one of those steals have come in August. As he gets more playing time with all the injuries the Twins have went through this season, Walner hits the ball hard with a max EV of 113.7 and has been barreling up the ball with a 16.9 barrel percentage this season. I believe that Walner has a good amount of potential, and like I said, in deeper leagues, he's someone that you should be looking at picking up, but John, you're the Twins fan here. Is
1: there anything there with Walner beyond my analysis? Honestly, I think in 12-teamers, he probably should be started as well. Okay, um, okay. I, I only say that because... When I look at the playing times thing, right, like the reason why he's getting so much playing time is because Alex Kirilov is currently hurt. And so Gallo has moved to first base, which leaves an opening at left field. Walner is probably one of the better defenders. He's got a cannon for an arm. He actually used to be a pitcher. So um, he he can easily, you know, chuck a ball uh, from the outfield. And I think that that's his value um, in being able to prevent doubles at at that left field spot. Okay. And with Kirilov still out, he's going to get playing time. And then even if Kirilov comes back healthy, the Twins, like for the Twins right now, Walner is like maybe a top four bat, top three bat for them. And I think they're going to work to get his bat in the lineup, whether it's in left field or or as a DH. He's got real power. Um, And I think the encouraging thing actually has been that at the beginning of the season, the dude could not hit, you know, breaking pitches at all. He was basically like, just give me fastballs, and if it can't get any fastballs, I am going to strike out here. His strikeout numbers are a little bit better since he's come back, and I think that 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 actually shows a little bit of promise that this is real. Like the plate discipline is actually like a little bit legit. Um, so I am all for Walner. I am kind of sad I missed out on him in TGFPi, and uh, I think the dude is legitimate. I am trying not to hype myself up too much about Walner because he is a local kid as well, oh, so okay. it's easy to be like, oh, you know, this is like the next great like Minnesotan to play for the twins um but yeah I just think he's I just think he's so good and if if you're only relying on a guy for like a month you know I don't think there's a reason that Walner shouldn't be on a list of guys that you should be picking up yeah I mean I don't want to hype it up
2: too much because once again the guys that are like 7% rostered and stuff they're usually just kind of hot guys that do it for a little bit yeah. and then flame mm-hmm. out. But Walner looks like he has a pretty strong profile in the underlying metrics. So yeah. I thought he was a good recommendation. Once again, for deeper leagues, I would more recommend him. But Definitely. in those 12-team yeah. leagues where maybe you need a util bat or you need help because an outfielder got injured, maybe you lost Starling Marte or something along the likes of that, then Matt Wallner is pretty good right now he's been playing really really well as of late so maybe it's a name you never heard of matt walner of the twins pick him up if you need help for the outfield but that's going to do it for this episode of this week in fantasy baseball the half century episode thank you all for listening to this week in fantasy baseball for this long this many episodes if you've listened to every single one of them we thank you so much because we're only doing this because you guys are listening to it so thank you very much for listening and streaming the podcast before we go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at This Week PL and send us your comments and questions to our email at This Week Pod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnK, that's T H E J O H N K E, and you can follow myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R E G I C I D A L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please, once again, leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.